and we're in chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We'll read uh, just the first few verses and then a short passage from the New Testament. Okay, so Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped by Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And then briefly, in 1 Corinthians 10, you needn't turn there. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, For they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful things we've been singing. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take our place. That you would bear our cross. Lord Jesus, we gather to you. We gather with joy, appreciation of your incredible mercy, your kindness. Thank you so much, Lord, for putting such value, Lord, on your saving mercy. Thank you so much for coming, taking our place, suffering where we should have suffered. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You were the rock. We praise you, Lord Jesus. You're the one who offers us all that we need. Now, Father, as we... Gather around your open word. We pray for the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lord, come to us, we pray. Look at your flock. Look on our needs. Look on our desires. We pray, may the Holy Spirit come right now. Be our teacher. Lead us into truth. Bless us, Lord, with your joy, with your adequacy for our lives. Come meet with us, we pray, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this uh, story we've been following has these various different encounters they have with difficulties, setbacks, challenges, 
and we see how God again and again meets those needs. On this occasion, the focus is on the great need of water. I guess we've been more aware of that in recent days than normal. In England, it's not really our problem. Uh, we find water easy. We don't seem to need it very much. But lately in our news, we've been told, hey, you need to make sure you're drinking adequately uh, when you're hitting these temperatures. And we read also of terrible news in India where colossal temperatures have even taken lives, where people have not been able to get to good water, be in place of safety. The need of water in a desert place is very obvious, it's very real. And if you're going to find the nourishment you need to complete the journey, here's a story that's very, very relevant to us. So they're going to walk through this uh, wilderness. It should have only taken 11 days, according to Deuteronomy. It took 40 years because of their disobedience and backsliding and going around in circles instead of following God's purpose, obeying and trusting him. And so yes, there's going to be need. And then they're going to need water. And in the Bible, as I read from that New Testament passage, we see that God has used this imagery of the need of refreshing water as a spiritual reality. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock which followed them, like the water that was provided, was Christ. Christ is the one who provides us with the nourishment that we need. It says later in Psalm 78, because this thing is uh, celebrated again and again through our Bibles, he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like ocean depths. He brought forth also streams from the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. It's an amazing thought, really. There's a, a nomadic community walking through the wilderness, and after they've come through, uh, there's enough water for two million people and their flocks. You know, sometimes you see children's Bibles, and uh, you know, there's Moses there in his dressing gown, and he's hitting this rock with a little stick, and it's just a, it's two million people and their flocks, and there's enough. So here in the Bible, this is ocean depths, rivers, this phenomenal miracle that God supplied water for them that was adequate, more than adequate, everything they needed for this journey. God kept on making this amazing provision, God's supply to them. And the imagery is carried over in verses like this in verse, uh, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. The reality then of thirst. We experience thirst. It's a phrase that's often used in ordinary life situations. People thirst for knowledge. Uh, they thirst for power. They thirst for experience. They, they thirst for satisfaction. People have this awareness that the human being is made with needs that have to be met from outside of themselves. We've been created in such a way that we are not self-sufficient. We don't have everything we need. We have to come for a supply. And God's ultimate purpose, of course, was that he would be the provider of every need of ours, that he can meet our need. And ultimately, Jesus comes with that kind of offer that he can provide our need. So the wilderness journey is like a parable of people walking, yes, through a wilderness. Yes, we ourselves walking through difficult circumstances often, things that test and try us, things that make us wonder, have I got what it takes to cope with this? And God's saying, yeah, I can meet your need. I can supply that need like, yes, you can come to me. And like the psalmist says, I, I long for your 
living water. I long for that encounter with you that meets my need, that I can cope with life, I can endure difficulties, setbacks, heartaches, drama. Yes, because I can just keep coming to you. I can keep coming drinking. I can walk this journey. So the Bible talks about Christianity as a walk. It's the early title for Christians. We're followers of the way. The Bible often speaks about running a race. It's like a journey. It's like a, a path that we have to walk down. And we need provision to keep us nourished for that journey. I think for some of us, when we first became Christians, that was the big question. For me, it was. Could Jesus really provide all that I needed for life? My conversion was very shallow. I, I, I had no Christian background, whatever. Uh, my parents were not believers. And uh, I never saw an open Bible in my home. Uh, then my sister went away to uh, go on the stage, was the idea. But she met a Christian and then came home and said, I've become a Christian. I've been born again. And, uh, and, and I asked Jesus into my heart, which was the current phrase. Ask Jesus into your heart. But there was no kind of major transformation, except I knew I was born again. I knew Jesus was with me, but I couldn't kind of let go of everything that filled my life because, well, how do you live with a bit of religion? I mean, that's not going to meet my need. And I couldn't see that that was adequate for me. Uh, and then for me, there came a huge crisis where I felt God say, look, I want your life. I, I, wanna, I want really to take over. And then I thought, well, how do you live without all the things that fill my life now? I'd be so thirsty. And I remember when I, I said to all my friends, when they said, look, I, I said, I'm going to follow Jesus now. I won't be coming out anymore. And I remember my first Saturday night. I, mean, I lived for Saturday nights. The week was boring. It endured Monday to Friday. If you could live for the weekend. I'm a teenager in Brighton. And I remember I thought, boy, this uh, my first Saturday night when I'm not going to go out, I'm not coming with you anymore. I went out one last weekend, a kind of celebratory weekend, <laughs> giving up. Uh, so this is the last time. And, uh, and I went on my motorbike, as I had in those days, scooter actually, and a Lambretta. And I went down into Brighton on that Saturday night, and I drove around the crowds, and I loved the atmosphere. I just loved the atmosphere of young life in Brighton on a Saturday night. It was what I lived for. And I, I drove home. I thought, no, I've given it up. I've given it up. And I drove home back into the darker streets of Hove, away from the Hove, actually, and not the bright lights of Brighton. And I put my motor scooter away, and I went into my home. And my parents were in the other room, and I sat in a room alone. And I remember what they said at church. I found Jesus, life with a capital L. And I thought, I found Jesus, death with a capital H. It's like hell with a capital H. It's like I'm just sitting at home and I've got nothing to do on a Saturday night. And I, I thought, how, how will I survive? Can I keep this up? Because I love the parties. And I love the drink and I love the girls and I love the dancing and I love the gambling. I used to gamble a lot. I said, oh, that, was, that was life. I thought, how do you survive without all that? I mean, I've got to get up again tomorrow. I've got to live another week. I've got to go to another weekend. How do you actually survive? And I remember sitting at home and just taking my Bible and beginning to read. And I actually opened it, the book of Acts. And I'd never read the book of Acts right through at one sitting before. But I just felt so desolate. 
And I thought, I won't be able to survive. I won't be able to keep up this life anyway. Because how do you live it? How can you, how can you give all that up? And Jesus is enough. I thought, that's impossible. And I just began to read the book of Acts. And as I read, I thought, boy, it was rather exciting being a Christian. It was amazing. And, and I thought, this wasn't boring. Look what happened to them. And I just read the whole book of Acts right through at a sitting, which I'd never, ever done before. And by the time I'd finished it, there was this kind of quiet peace in my heart and a bubble of excitement that, hey, maybe I've, maybe I've stumbled on something that's enough for life. Maybe there is enough here. And there's Mick Jagger thundering out, I can't get no satisfaction. And I'm part of that generation back in the 60s. And I'm, that's where I used to find my satisfaction, out there in the fun and the light. And not much satisfaction from Monday to Friday. I mean, that was total boredom. But the weekends, that's where it all happened. And now I'm not going to do that anymore. And will Jesus be enough for me? That was a huge challenge, a huge challenge. And that's what I think took me out that night. Just took me up, just for, I couldn't imagine not going to town on a Saturday night. And I went and I drove and I thought, no, I can't. I've got to give it up. But can Jesus keep me? Is Jesus enough? Is he really able to meet my needs? And it may be that you didn't have the stupid life that I had. But we still have to ask the question, is Jesus really enough? And sometimes we sing songs like, you know, you're my everything. All that I need is in you. We sing wonderful lines from songs. But sometimes we don't really have to ask that question until we hit some sort of crisis when everything's taken from us. And, so, and that can happen again in life. It can happen, for me it happened at that early stage when I was about 20, having lived a, a terrible Christian life for four years. Then about 20, this big question, can Jesus really satisfy my heart? Is he enough for me? And I, I found he was enough. And I want to come in more and more to talk about, yes, come and drink, come and receive, come and know something of the supply of the Spirit that is enough for you. But for me, that wasn't theoretical. It was frighteningly real. And if I hadn't found it, I think I would have tragically gone back. But Jesus made that claim, I am enough for you. I am the rock. I am the one that supplies living water. I can supply your need. And you'll find that will happen from time to time. It will happen in the crises of life, when things are snatched from you, when job situations hit you, or other situations, or sickness. Or, and, and people will again and again ask this question, is Jesus enough? Or is it Jesus and success? Or is it Jesus and I'm fulfilled by doing this? Or is it Jesus and, and these other things, and these other things? But Jesus is saying, look, I can supply the basic, ultimate need. Now, he gives us all things richly to enjoy. He's not a miserable God. He's not, we're not called to asceticism. Hallelujah. We're called to enjoy things. Give thanks to God for his wonderful provision. It's God's world. He wants us to enjoy his world. But he wants us to know that ultimately, he can satisfy the deep needs. That when you shut the door and you're alone, that's not the end of the world. When you shut the door and there are no other distractions, he really can meet the need. And if we haven't learned that yet, we're still learning about Christianity. We can pick up many bits of information as we make our journey, but ultimately it's this awareness that he really does satisfy our needs, that everything else falls into proportion. And if it hasn't fallen into proportion, we get confused. We say, yes, of course I know about Jesus. 
Of course I know Jesus, but I really have needs. I need, I need fulfillment. I need my, my career must be successful. I want my children to think well of me. I want my parents to really applaud me. I want, we have all kinds of needs. To, we need to draw on that need. And If once we've got this right, that Jesus really satisfies, everything else falls into place. We find we're no longer dependent upon the applause of others. We're no longer dependent on this goes well or everything else went well. Because now I've really found this truly is the answer. He really does meet my need. Now I can handle many, many things, enjoy many, many things, experience setbacks, etc. But everything else falls into place when he is in the right place. And so we find that the scripture talks about this. Jeremiah 2 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot contain water. They've they've missed the point. And tragically, that was the story of Israel. They they found the Lord who delivered them. (laughs) They used to be slaves. He set them free. They used to be guilty. He provided a lamb who could take away their guilt. They used to be in total bondage. He rescued them. He cared for them. He gave them a future, a promised inheritance. And they, it's like, yeah, well, we know all that. We know all that. But how do I get satisfied? Instead of saying, no, this is where the satisfaction lies. It really does lie in him. And they missed the point. Sadly, that was their experience. Again, in Isaiah 55, because this drinking imagery comes in again and again in the Bible. Isaiah 55, how everyone who thirsts Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by without money, without cost. Why do you spend your wages on that which doesn't satisfy? And here Jesus is saying, look, I can't be the ultimate one who satisfies. Then yes, of course, you can enjoy so many things I will give you, but get this thing central in your experience. So there's the reality of thirst. We do thirst. We do need something to give us security, safety, joy, fulfillment. That's why money very often comes as an alternative God. Come, Mammon, don't worship Mammon. Well, I can provide you with security. I can give you prestige. I can give you so many things. And then it's a false God. You can't serve that God and this God because God promises all those things. Unless we've understood, no, God is my provider, we'll be ensnared by money. We'll be ensnared by experiences. We'll be ensnared by things because we're looking for what only God can supply. We're searching it elsewhere. And he's saying, this is such a tragedy. Why do you spend your money on that which cannot satisfy when I'm offering you living water? And so we find this again and again. The reality of thirst. Every man, every woman knows something of this reality. I want to just take you to a New Testament passage. John's Gospel, chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses where again this imagery comes very clearly to the surface. John 4 and from verse 4. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, 
ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you've nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did the saints and his, uh, his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring or a well of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That's interesting conversation. He's speaking to this woman. If you read the story on, you find that uh, he asks her about her husband. She says, I'm thirsty. He says, well, what about your husband? He's, no. and so he gets, she gets a bit defensive then and starts asking religious questions about worshipping in Samaria or Jerusalem. And Jesus cuts right through all this and says, yes, you've had five husbands. I mean, that's quite a score, isn't it? Five husbands. So she must have been pretty stunning. Uh, five guys wanted to marry her. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, you know, it's nice to get one. To get five, we're happy to say, I'll marry you. Uh, and now the one you're with, uh, he's not your husband. Mm, maybe the attraction's not what it used to be. I'll move in, but, you know, she used to be, wow, wow can I marry you? I mean, she. I remember when Elizabeth Taylor was such a, a big, big star, a star of a previous generation, maybe, and I think she married six times, and uh, you'd sometimes hear her say when she got married, Things like this, now I've found, now I've found my joy, now I've found my completion, now I've found the one that I've always been looking for. And, uh, you know, it's sad to hear this uh, beautiful woman getting married again and find, saying, I know I've found, only to find like five years later, nah, and I'm looking again. And being so stunning and wonderful, it wasn't difficult, she could find another one. This woman, she could find five, one after the other. Now, well, things aren't so bright anymore. Uh, and Jesus is saying, look, I can give you living water. And there's something in her, it's a confusion actually, a confusion. Because she, she gets confused with, is he talking, what's he talking, what kind of water is he talking about? Now obviously Jesus is on the theme that I'm on this morning, I'm offering you living water. Something that you, you, you won't have to keep coming to this well. I can give you living water. You'll have in you a well of water, a, a spring that will spring up. And, and she kind of understands him. She says, please give me this. Then she says, I won't have to keep coming to this well. Now that's interesting. Because I think for, for many of us, we haven't understood what's being said here in John 4. That the offer is not just a drink, the offer is the well. Jesus said, if you, if you drink this water that I'm going to give you you, 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 you can have the well. And she understood. 
It's like once you've drunk this, you can throw your bucket away. God is offering us as believers an adequate supply that means you don't have to keep coming back to something other than his life within. I think we sometimes think the meeting is the well. You know, we've met with Jesus, we're so glad maybe, as we go home on our Sunday and we go through Monday, Tuesday, the week's a bit demanding. And as the week provides pressures and setbacks and challenges, we think, boy, it's nearly Sunday. I can get back to the well. Because the well is kind of outside of us. It's down the road. It's when we gather. That's the well. Now, I don't want to despise the gathering. Praise God for the gathering. But Jesus said you can have the well on the inside. You, you, you get not just a drink, you get the well. You have in you a well of water springing up. And this is the extraordinary provision that God says, no, I will come into you. I will be with you. I'll come into your very life. I will deposit within you my life, my spiritual life within you. Become a partaker of divine nature. Out of your guts will flow rivers of living water out of you. You become yourself a supply. You become yourself one who has drunk this incredible living water that keeps on flowing, that keeps on flowing out from you. It keeps on supplying. And that's the offer that's here from Jesus. He's saying, come and you can drink. And when you come to the, and receive this kind of drink, something supernatural and wonderful has happened to you. You've found the answer to life. And she's, she's confused and so on. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who was speaking to you, you need to know some things. You need to know there is a gift. It's freely for you. You need to know the identity of the one who is speaking to you. You need to know that this is a, this is a very, you not know, just ordinary prophet or teacher or healer. This is God himself, the one who's unashamed to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the one who comes to give life. I can provide you with this. Come to me and drink. Have we, have we experienced that? Have you experienced that? Found that, hey, Jesus has given me such a drink within that has met my profoundest need. Or do we feel, well, yeah, it's great to have Jesus, but I, I know I need these other things as well. In fact, some of these other things become so large in our thinking that we feel we can't actually live without that. And when that happens, then yes, we're missing the point. We're missing this wonderful provision that he is supplying for us on the inside. The offer, he's offering us an adequate provision that meets our every needs. Gets rid of a bad conscience as we've heard in the worship time. Gives us righteousness, gives us life within, gives us peace with God. Gives us all that we need. So we might say, well, how much is this water? How much does it cost? And here we read in Isaiah 55, if anyone thirsts, come drink without money, without price, it's free. We can come and receive freely. But notice the story. Moses is told, go and take the staff and hit the rock. And we read in the New Testament giving a kind of uh, revelation of what it's all about. The rock was Christ. In order for this, this life flow to come, this rock has to be hit. And we know in the New Testament the wonderful illustration of what it happens for us to have our guilt taken away, for us to be qualified, to be able to come freely and receive. 
It's interesting that Isaiah 55 says, come, it's all free. But Isaiah 53 says, one came and stood in our place and he was smitten of God and afflicted. He was beaten. Jesus came as the pure, holy Son of God. He came with tenderness and mercy and righteousness. He came displaying God to us. And he was smitten of God. He stood in our place. The rock had to be broken. The rock had to be hit. And Jesus came and voluntarily gave his life for us. He laid down his life that we might go free. And on the back of that comes life. You can come. You don't have to pay. Why? Because somebody else has paid. You don't have to bring any kind of righteousness. No, somebody else has done that for you. Jesus has expressed perfect obedience to the Father and that has been credited to your account. And on the basis of that, you can drink freely what God is so willing to give. The gift of God. And so we find in one other place I want to bring you to before we finish this morning. In John chapter 7, John 7 and verse 37, where we read, Jesus stood up, and cried out. It says, on the last day of the feast, this was the Feast of Tabernacles, where again they remembered how God provided this water for them. And on that uh, great day of the feast, the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the, as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so if you're there that day, on this great day of the feast, and uh, each day through the feast of the week, uh, they would pour water. They would pour water. It was just a symbol of this amazing provision during the wilderness journey. And on this great day, this last day, and there's some difference between the commentators whether they would have poured water or not poured water on that final day, Jesus stood and it says he shouted out. He lifted up his voice, which was unusual because as a teacher in those days, he would have usually sat and people gathered around, teachers used to sit and speak. Jesus stood up and shouted, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. It's this offer that keeps coming from the Bible. I can meet your need. Come drink. And if you push through the crowd and said, yes, I'm thirsty. The verse says, this he spoke of the Spirit who is not yet. And the, and the Bible supplies this word given. It literally says that the Spirit was not yet, not yet available, not yet at hand. And so here's someone saying, come and drink. And if you push through the crowd and said, yes, me, please. He just said, well, not yet, not yet. And I think when, when we hear a kind of not yet from God, very often we think, well, is there something wrong with me? Is there something more? You know, have, I, have I got to perform more uh, religion, more righteousness? Have I somehow got to earn what you're offering? What's wrong with me? Not yet. No, no. It's nothing to do with them. It's not to do with their readiness. Not to do with your readiness. If you push through and say, yes, I'm so thirsty for your spirit. So thirsty to... It says this, he spoke of the spirit whom they were to receive. Now, John the Baptist introduced Jesus. In every gospel, it's recorded. Jesus is set forth 
in two different ways by John the Baptist. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the ultimate lamb. All those lambs of the Old Testament from the Passover on, there are many lambs in Old Testament story. You take a lamb and you kill the lamb. Your sin is taken away. You bring that to the priest or you put it on the doorpost. The blood covers you. That was being taught again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, building up to the ultimate lamb. And John the Baptist says, look, this is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. He's come, the ultimate lamb, the perfect, innocent, holy son of God. He comes not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life a ransom. He's the ultimate lamb. That's how John the Baptist introduces him. He also introduces him in this way. He says, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this, is, this is what he's come for. He's come to take away your sin. He's come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's how he's introduced. He's the, he's the one who will fulfill all these Old Testament promises of the age of the Spirit. When Joel said in the Old Testament, in the last days, God says, I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh. That means on all kinds of people. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was only poured out on particular people. Judges, kings, prophets, that the Spirit came upon them. Like Gideon, he's scared, he's hiding away, and God comes to him and says, you valiant warrior. And he says, well, I don't feel like a valiant warrior. And then the Spirit falls upon Gideon, and he does. He leads 300 guys against tens of thousands. I mean, that takes a valiant warrior, a mighty man of valor. God's said that's who you are, and then it says he clothed him with the Spirit, and he went out in power. And we know about David. Samuel came to him and poured oil on him. From that time on, the Spirit was upon him. We know of Elijah, and when he finished his ministry, he said to Elisha, you, you will carry on this ministry. And Elisha said, if I'm going to carry on your ministry, I need the same power. And he, he wouldn't let go until he had that promise. Where's that promise that he would receive power, the power that rested on Elijah? And sure enough, that same power rested on Elisha, that same enabling. And these people in the Old Testament, they were usually isolated figures. Moses himself, he's told, lay hands on Joshua at the end of his life. Lay hands on Joshua that he might have this anointing of the Spirit to do the task. And so in the Old Testament, they were isolated guys, individuals, sometimes only one in a generation who was empowered to represent God either as a king or as a prophet or a judge. Holy Spirit-inspired people, individuals that stood out in the crowd, charismatic leaders in the biblical sense of the word and even in the popular sense. They stood out in the crowd. Why? Because they were anointed with power. Then Joel comes on the scene and says, now listen, in the last days, Isaiah had also spoken about when the Spirit is poured out from on high, and then Joel said, my spirit will be poured upon all flesh, your sons and daughters. Well, not just, not just Samuel the prophet, not just, no, my sons and daughters. Many. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's going to come what Paul calls in, the, in, in Corinthians the dispensation of the Spirit, the age of the Spirit. There's going to come an age where it's not that only, only these individuals will know God, like Moses meets face to face with God. The others, they're 
Well, they just, here's Moses. Moses tells them what God's saying. They don't know God. Moses goes to God. The people don't really know God. He said, there will come a day when the Spirit will be poured out on everybody. When everybody. And the promises in the new covenant, each one shall know me, from the least to the greatest. It's no longer going to be these special guys. We'll all have access to God. And Jesus said, this, my sheep, hear my voice. This wonderful new covenant, we all have access. We have access to, the God, to, to God. We can talk to God. God can talk to us. We can be in his presence in a way that in the Old Testament, only isolated people knew. Now it's the age of the Spirit. And John the Baptist, here he is, the one who's going to flood you with the Spirit. He's the one who's going to pour out the Spirit. And yet when you follow the life of Jesus through the Gospels, you just get these little occasions, like the woman at the well, it's amazing, isn't it? Not in a theological college, not talking to the Pharisees, talking to this poor Samaritan woman who begins to shed some light. I can give you a well of water. I can pour out my spirit. I mean, it's amazing how Jesus gives these fragments of information. So what seems careless to us is John 4. When you think about it, why didn't he say this in the temple? Why? No, no, Jesus is very happy to shed light where he will. But actually, as he comes to the end of the year, the three years of ministry, he, he gathers his disciples in the upper room. And in the upper room, John 14, 15, 16 particularly, he says more about the Holy Spirit than he has right through these three years. I'm going to send another one like me, a counselor, a comforter. It's hard to translate the word really. Different translations, they use the word helper, Trans, uh, uh, comforter, but it, it really means one with strength. Parakletos, one who will come alongside you to strengthen you. One like me. And he, there are two Greek words for another. One means, well, another one, but another one means another one the same, similar, the same. Another one like me will come to be with you. I, don't, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. It's, it's be like me coming, but it's the Holy Spirit is coming to be with you. And so he's preparing them very much. They've been used to living with Jesus. I mean, they're living with Jesus all the time. They're around Jesus. They're in Jesus' presence with his incredible wisdom, his power, his love, his mercy, his life, his vitality. Waking up every day with Jesus was so breathtaking. Then one day he said, I'm going away. Said, going away? Now don't be scared. I'll come to you. I won't leave you orphans. Oh, it's okay. He's coming back. He's coming back. What is he talking about? He's coming back. He meant when the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes. It's like, I'll be back with you. The age of the presence of God in an unprecedented way. The Spirit among you. Like it had been with Moses when Moses said, Lord, I can't lead all these people. We'll see this later. And God said, look, choose some elders. He finds 70 elders. And the Spirit that's on Moses is placed on the 70. And they all prophesy. It's like suddenly... There's an Old Testament little picture. The spirit that's on this great leader is put on the 70 and they all prophesy. It's like, hey, God's amongst us. We're a community of the spirit. Like he's a man of the spirit. We're a people of the spirit. And so in the New Testament, the church becomes a people of the spirit. The people who learn to know the spirit, enjoy the spirit. And you could have come forward that day and said, yes, I'm thirsty. And he said, not yet, not yet. Why not yet? Because we're not ready. No, because... The Spirit was not yet given 
because he was not yet glorified. He wasn't yet glorified. Now, it's interesting how John uses the word glorified. He uses the word glorified in two ways, if you read the Gospels of John. He talks about going up to the cross. And it talks of the cross in those terms, he will be glorified. And yet it's obvious that the cross doesn't stand alone. But as you look at its majesty, it's not against a black sky, it's against a glorious throne. He's going to be glorified on high. He's going to be magnified. He's been given glory. He's going to be assumed the position of majesty. He says in John 17, he says, I pray for them, these you've given to me, that they see the glory I had with you before the beginning of the world. But now, not just the second person of the Trinity, but as the God-man, united to the human race permanently, this man now, God-man, raised to a position of glory at the right hand of God, he's going to be glorified, then the Spirit's going to be poured out. The Spirit is not yet available, he would have said to them. But when he's glorified, when he's ascended, when he's, when he's gone through the cross, when he's been smitten, when he stood in our place, when he's, for our guilt, he is pierced, when he's broken on the cross, when he's then glorified. Yeah, the Spirit's not yet given. The rock hasn't been hit yet. We have to wait for his being punished in our place. We have to wait till our guilt has been taken away. We have to wait for his being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That has to come first. When that's happened, then he's glorified on high. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and said, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we're witnesses, and he being established at the right hand of God, has poured out this, which you see and hear. What did they see and hear? They saw these 120 people full of the Holy Spirit, praising God in new tongues, celebrating the reality of God's presence with them. And then he said to them, the promise is to you. The promise is to you and your children. What do we have to do? Repent. Believe the gospel. Be baptized. You should receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. You can come and drink. It's all available now. It's all available now. They were told to wait for the day of Pentecost. They were told to wait. They had to wait. But when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, this day of harvest, this day of celebration, when it's been fulfilled, when Jesus on that day pours out this victory gift from the Father, this gift of the Spirit, then anyone can come and drink. And, and, and Jesus said in John 4, this well will well up in you to eternal life. Eternal life. It's not just getting my needs met. It's not just satisfying me on a Saturday night, my pathetic little world, or whatever it is that we feel a need of. It's not just meeting our needs. It's not just water for the journey. It's not just water through the wilderness. It will well up to eternal life. And what we taste now is a guarantee. We taste something that has a taste of eternity about it. It's like God has broken into our mundane world, our wilderness journey, not just with a little drink, 
but we're tasting of the powers of the age to come. God gives us a, a foretaste. This living water is, the, is a foretaste of eternal glory. It's the experiencing His presence. It's knowing what it is to be with God, getting ready for glory. God prepares us through our experiences of life, but gives us a foretaste of being in His presence. Eternal values, eternal experiences break in on our world. If anyone's thirsty then, here we are, we're on our journey. You may have felt, oh, I need something to drink. You may have felt this last week, boy, it's hot. Boy, it's hot. I need something to drink. In life, we, we often feel our need. We feel our need. I stumbled on this wonderful quote of a Puritan called John Flavel. He said this, the soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside of itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. By the enjoyment of the love of Christ in the heart of a believer, we mean an experience of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. If we're not finding, he really does satisfy. He says here, we go in silent search of other lovers. God isn't frightened to use romantic language in the Bible. And he says, I want to be the one who satisfies you. And when we find he is really our, our life satisfaction, we drink of him. Yeah, there are all kinds of other blessings. But if that's not central, we begin to look for these other lovers to satisfy us. Career success. When I can marry that guy or that girl, or when I've got that degree, or when I've got all sorts of short-term things, little things, can fill. If only I had that, I'd be a happy man. If only I had that, I'd be a happy woman. Now, when we've got Jesus at the center, he'll add all sorts of things to bless us. But he's saying, come to me. I'll give you living water. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Jesus meets every need. You meet, supply our every need. Satisfy our most profound desire. Lord, I do deliver us from nominalism, deliver us from moralism, deliver us from religion, deliver us from just externalism that doesn't meet our need. So that left with our other things, we would have to say, I can't get satisfaction. Help us, Father, to be those who are manifestly satisfied with you. Manifestly happy in God. We thank you for the stories of people who've been imprisoned, people like John Bunyan, people like many Chinese Christians today, 
Others, Lord, who endure great hardship but say, no, no, I, I, I have Jesus. We thank you. They don't say, no, I've got religion. We know only you can do it, Lord. So, Father, help every one of us to really know what it is, to just realize that every other God can't do it for us, but you can. Please, Lord, bless this word to us. Make us those who come and drink. Come and drink. Come and drink again and again in your presence, enjoying the wonder of your commitment to us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.